You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel, a look at the Australian film industry from the curtain edges. And uh, today we're going to talk to Thomas Wright. He's a, a writer, director, actor. And the film is The Stranger. It is getting a theatrical release today, starts today. And uh, it stars uh, Sean Harris and Joel Edgerton. It's a very, very creepy film and a very amazing film, in fact. Uh, it's also being uh, distributed worldwide uh, by Netflix by, on the 19th of October. So if you can't get to the cinemas then you can actually uh, key in later in the month. But uh, let's have a chat with Thomas Wright about his film, The Stranger. Your uh, film, The Stranger, is the most sobering film, I'll have to say. And um, I came away thinking a police procedural meets true crime meets Shakespeare. It was quite amazing to me. And also, uh, before we start off, is it a... um, does it have the uh, sort of almost skeleton of the uh, David Morkham story? Daniel, Daniel Morkham. It's based it's based on a book by Kate Kiriakou, which was a book that revealed the undercover operation behind the scenes um, in that case. And when I took it on, yes, it's based on that operation. However, I obviously decided to fictionalise it and change all the details um, and... Uh, not represent the victim or their family or any violence. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I, it was a very interesting technique to have the bare bones of it but not uh, make it a specific story because it's actually – that's why you call it The Stranger as well, isn't it? That's right. That's right. Yeah, I think it resonates out to be a larger story about, you know, the the – capacity for human violence and the need for social order that we have. Because it's such a, a dark story, in fact, and uh, quite, I mean, I, I really did leave it thinking um, how horrifying this story is. Um, how did, you wrote it as well, so how did you insert yourself? Yeah, that's right. How did you insert yourself into this um, milieu, as it were? Well, from the first conversations with Joel, I, I said I, there, there was no way that I could just attempt a layperson's version of this. I, I, my, my first estimation of it was that I would research for about six months full time and then I would write the film. 
and that's what ended up happening. We we will never be able to talk about actually how this film was researched or prepared, but I can say that the research was really exhaustive and that people who've been involved with this sort of work have been involved with the film and seen the film and can testify to the depth of accuracy and detail that's in there. But I, I worked for six months, about 10 hours a day, um, working through research material full-time. And at the end of that process, I, I wrote the film in six days. And then I was, I was actually hospitalised the day after that with pneumonia because I don't think I'd realised what a terrible toll um, dealing with this sort of material has on your, on your body, um, let alone on your mind. Um, and I think that was just because we felt a tremendous responsibility in, in dealing with this material and a tremendous moral responsibility to get it right. And I think that echoed out through the entire um, film production. Um, and it was three years of time from those earliest conversations with Joel about the film to, to it premiering as the first Australian film in uncertain regard in official selection at Cannes in, in eight years. Um, but, uh, yeah, certainly, certainly a very difficult film to make and, and, and very difficult material to deal with, but it pales in comparison to the people that actually have to deal with this sort of, um, these sorts of cases on a day-to-day basis, let alone obviously those who are directly affected by, by violence. The um, acting choices uh, is really fascinating. I mean, I, I, um, I was really amazed at how perfectly the... Um, uh, the griminess of the uh, locations and, you know, like the lived-in yeah. uh, locations, yeah. the, the places. Yes, you did right. such a fantastic job. Well, it's such an exercise in atmosphere. And as a, as a filmmaker, you know, you have these tremendous um, tools, disparate art forms, really, at your disposal, and you need to somehow bring them together and get all of those elements to align. The score the visual production design, the choice of locations, the style of performance, the language being used, obviously the written language itself, as well as the sound design and the wardrobe. And and really what you're trying to do is orchestrate all of those elements to this single purpose. And and as you put there, um, it's it's almost a visceral quality to this film. I wanted it to feel physical. I wanted it to make you feel as an audience member really present. I wanted to place you subjectively in that experience and in that relationship and, and in closeness to the to the subject of the film, you know, safely for an audience over that two hour period so that you can emerge and, and feel changed and feel that you've seen something that you've never seen before. Because I know my experience coming to this material was just that the operation itself the idea of it, the psychology behind it and what they achieved, really, it really beggars belief. Um, and, uh, you know, I was very afraid of this material when I first came to it, not only because of the subject matter and because I have a young son myself who actually plays Joel Edgerton's son in the film. That's my little boy, um, Cormac. But, but also because logistically and technically and in terms of the storytelling, what it demanded... Um, Structurally, was going to be so 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 difficult to realise, and I, I couldn't be more proud of the film. Um, yeah. Well, actually, uh, my daughter just had a baby, a little boy, this week, and so wow. yeah, and I and I was watching this film. Oh, oh my God, this is just so horrible. 
Yeah. For all of us, I mean, you know, films about violence ultimately should, if they're realised with any conscience, really be films about empathy. Because unless you're somebody that lives with violent impulses on a day-to-day basis, for, for most of us, it's the fear of violence. And for me, I, by making a film about the absence of this victim, by refusing to show that victim um, not even any representation of them on a milk carton or anything like that, I made the film about who do you, who do you care about? Who do you, the viewer, care about? What's your reason to care about violence in, in your community? Um, and, and, and what is it to, to, to try to make a film that, you know, obviously the reason for the film is an act of violence, but it's not its subject. The subject is the connection between people. The subject is actually in some ways a kind of social contract um, and the care that we actually have and the empathy that we have um, for strangers. So that stranger of the title could as much refer to person responsible for this crime as in that classic, you know, fear of the stranger, the idea of the stranger as a kind of filmic trope too of someone we're afraid of. But it could also stand for the victim. It could stand for the people who love them. Or it could stand for the central character whose, whose name we never learn, mm, um, right. which is highly unusual. Or to those homeless people who give their, their time um, and their enormous investment to try to resolve this, this case at the film's close. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, it, it took a toll on you as the writer and uh, then you go into a role of director. But how did the actors get themselves prepared? Sean Harris, he's English. And, yes. I, and I was, yes. I, I mean, I've lived uh, in the bush and I've lived in whole ranges yep. of places yep. in Australia. This man yep. was a person I could recognise. Yes. He was amazing. Yeah, he transformed. Yeah, I know. You ran into him in a, in a truck stop in the NT, you know, like he's... um. He, he, he feels, I wanted Sean, the reason I cast Sean is he's flatly one of the strongest actors working in English language cinema anywhere in the world today. He is a complete chameleon. He is so transformative. And for me, I think it's really the film of his career. I, I just think I, I watched both him and Joel transform on an elemental level, their breath, their bodies, their physicality, and the commitment that those two actors brought to this, I'll just be forever thankful to both them and to Jardarell, but who plays the lead um, detective Kate Rylett um, in the story. But, but yeah, look, Sean, I, I wanted someone who felt like an outsider, someone who felt different, who felt unfamiliar, who unsettled you, who you felt you couldn't, you couldn't put a, a finger on. And I think his, his work speaks for, speaks for itself. Yeah. Like his face, the way he looked, the yep. thinness. Yep. Amazing. Yes, that's right. Yes, Absolutely I know. And he's a, he's an extraordinary he's an extraordinary actor to light because his skin sort of um, soaks soaks up the light. But that all you know that also comes down to how you manage all those elements. And you know the makeup in this film was carefully designed. Every element. We really wanted a film that was the, of the highest international standards in terms of its craft, its execution, and the way that it felt. We wanted this film to feel both distinctly Australian, but also, but also really strongly international in in what it was setting itself in terms of the standards that it had to hold to. And I think you know the fact that it premiered in Cannes as the first film in its section in official selection in eight years from Australia, um, and it's also the first Australian film to be bought worldwide as a Netflix um, original film um, as well. So uh, I, I think we've 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 held to that as best we could. 
Hi, my name is Rolf de Heer. I don't live in Melbourne. I live across the water in Tasmania. But if I did live in Melbourne, my number one radio station would be 3CR because it's about community and community matters. And you're with Annie on Showreel and we're talking to uh, writer-director Thomas Wright about his film The Stranger. Uh, quite an extraordinary film. It it has its theatrical release today, and as I said, it's going to be screening on Netflix from October the 19th, but uh, here's the rest of what he had to say. Now I want to go to the editing because uh, I want to know how close the film was to your script in the end. Structurally, it absolutely is. It's the same. Mm. It's the same film. It didn't deviate. So the film was always designed to shepherd you through um, the story as it, as it is in the finished film to give the audience the experience of what it is to be the target of an operation this scale and of the scale and complexity. Um, and the first sort of 15, 20 minutes of the film is devoted to that. You, you experience what it is to be what Joel um, termed the kind of Truman Show yeah. aspects. Uh, because, you know, this is really an extraordinary undercover um, technique used only in the, the most difficult, unsolvable cases. And, uh, and, and, and this you know, particular case on which this was based at its height uh, had something to the total, something to the, to the tune of 50 undercover operatives um, working to, to, to catch one person. Mm. And, and to create a whole theatrical almost milieu within which this That's person right. was living it's almost it's almost a film about a film in that in that sense because they are having to these police are having to write these scenarios craft situations location scout record of you know film and audio um and and catalog all of this as evidence against this um against this individual yeah, yeah, it has a a very strong um, sort of reflection on what's real and what's not. Yeah, that's right. And the film, on one hand, is you know extraordinarily structural and has quite a complex and unusual structure for an Australian film because normally, at the point of the amount of story that a normal Australian film would deal with, we're really just getting started. We're just getting to the end of our first act, um, effectively. But then, on the other hand, you have this really dreamlike psychological aspect of the of the of of the film of that subjective experience of that undercover operative and connecting it then you have this really forensic um this forensic way of delivering information and i was very aware that what i was dealing with on one hand was very much a psychological portrait on the other hand was a structural thriller but 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 connecting that material was this almost more like a forensic language of a documentary because i wanted an audience to invest i wanted them to work um, not only to fill in the idea of who that victim might be in their own relationship to this material, but also to be made active in the way that, a, you know, as you mentioned before, a kind of true crime film language will, that it puts you in that position of wanting to know more, of wanting to put those um, pieces together. Because as, as a viewer, I like to be an active yeah, viewer. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but there's also that Shakespearean element to it because yeah. um, there's the, the uh, it takes your breath away. Yeah, that's right. And there's those kind of central, there's those kind of central, yeah, almost literary 
sort of ideas that the film returns to to shepherd you to shepherd you through. And one of those central ideas is breath, and the fact that um, the film is the film is dealing with the simple the simple act of breathing. Because for me, at its core, this film is extremely um, simple in its theme, which is that all of us. Um, travel from being children into the adult world and at some point we need to learn how to deal with and negotiate the darkness that's out there and find our own relationship um, to that um, you know and that's a that's a fundamental part of our growth in our relationship to to reality and this individual in the story is, is placed in direct proximity to, to the to the worst potential that there is for, for human violence for a kind of unnameable violence that the film can't name, it doesn't attempt to name, and it doesn't attempt to um, understand it. It's so casual, so casual. Yes, exactly. You know, uncanny, uh, really. In in that he has no comprehension um, of of his behaviour, and we weren't interested in trying to interrogate that psychology, that individual. I mean, I really find that whole "let's get inside the mind of a killer" really, uh, you know, narrative of storytelling quite often pretty questionable um and i think certainly when it's based on real cases i think that's i think that's a a tough moral choice for for storytellers to make um but it was really important to me that it was fundamentally just a really gripping exciting thrilling film as well that was really satisfying and offered closure as well that wasn't going to leave an audience suspended in a place of violence but was going to um deliver a, a closed narrative as well, something that offered some, some potential for healing. So, so as a film uh, and, and as a text, uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's, you're very, you've got a very fine um, uh, control of the amount of words uh, and yep. the amount of gaps. Uh, 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 yep. Talk to me about that. That's fantastic. Well, what you're what you're trying to do, obviously, in a film is someone said to me after a preview screening at one point, the film's so so great, there's no exposition in it, and <laughs> I thought, well, that's 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 a brilliant compliment because the film is absolutely loaded with with exposition. The film has so much more, as I said, so much more narrative than a normal Australian film to tell. It will take you on such a big journey, but the effort as a filmmaker is to do that effortlessly and to bury it in character and to bury it in experience, to know when to withhold information and then when to deliver it in a clear way so that the audience can let go and take that, um, take that deep dive with you into the, into the story. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that's sort of interesting is uh, cars getting to and from, like it's with anything that you write or something, how you get people to and from places and how that's that right. works, it, that's really fascinating. Yes, yeah, so much of the film takes place in in moving vehicles. Um, and it was all shot for real in cars, um, on the road. Um, you know, it's a very difficult thing to do filmically. It might seem very simple, but, but shooting in and around cars is notoriously um, very technically difficult. And we were really exacting about um, how we did that. And part of the reason for that was the scariest thing in this film is to be still. Um, when you're sitting beside someone traveling through landscape, almost in what we thought of as kind of like a submarine, really. Um, because on the one hand, you have these kind of uh, this claustrophobic environment where you have to be next to this person. But outside, the whole film is set in these kind of badlands because they're having to isolate this person from from society. They can't have this operation taking place around 
civilians around people. Um, so, so yeah, there is this sense of intense claustrophobia, but, but the worst thing in the film is to have to stop and sit opposite that person and look them in the eye and talk to them because it is a film about a, it's a film about a relationship based entirely on lies and a, and a, and a very discomforting, um, relationship because neither of our two lead characters are who they appear to be. Each of them has a complete, um, other side to their, to their personality. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a very, it's a very strange filmic relationship uh, because it's a, because it's a, it's like a kind of a, a friendship where for one of them it's a dream and the other it's a, it's a nightmare. Your child who plays in this, as well as the, yes. the copper, uh, John, his name is. Yes. The, it, it was fascinating to see uh, such truly magnificent acting on the part of these people. Yeah, there's, there's a phenomenal supporting cast in this film. Steve Mazarkas, who plays Paul, Jada Alberts, I mentioned before, who plays yeah. the lead detective in the case, Alan Dukes, who plays John, and my son Cormac, who, as I said, was eight years old when we, when we shot the film. And, you know, as a director, you're trying to orchestrate very different ways to work for each of those people that's where they're going to do their, where they're going to do their best work and bring something really unique to the archetype that they're playing. You need to communicate a lot very quickly as a director with casting um, because especially in a film like this, there's 50-something speaking parts and you need the audience to feel that they know where they're placed very clearly with, with, each, of those, um, with each of those people. I know it's something that people struggled with when they read, read the scripts because there were so many names that to not be able to put those strong associations with, with those characters was, was really confronting. And it was something we were very mindful casting. But, yeah, look, I mean, I just think people like Alan Dukes and Steve Mazarkas, if they were working in America, they would be recognisable, legendary character actors. But uh, but I think in Australia, with the limited amount of um, films that we make and a tendency to maybe make television where the same few people get cast again and again and again, a lot of these great film actors are, are lost. So... It's 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 exciting to be able to give them a role where they can really really shine. And I agree with you. I think Alan as John is just it's a really it's a staggering performance. In the film. Oh, staggering! And, and the thing is that actors just love to act, so they must have really yes, yeah. And you're an actor, so uh, you've you've had a pretty splendid career so far. Yeah, look, I, I've had a I've had the great privilege of being able to work with some of the best directors in the world, and really that's where I learn filmmaking. Um, that and as a viewer, I didn't go to film school. I never made short films or music videos or commercials. I actually started um, my own theatre company when I was 22, and I was really self-employed as a company director um, and, a, and, a, and a writer from an early age. But uh, with one of the productions that I did for Kate Blanchett and Andrew Upton um, when they were the artistic directors at Sydney Theatre Company, um, Jane Campion saw that. Um, saw that production and cast me in Top of the Lake and, and all of a sudden I was acting in film full-time for the next uh, five or six years before I decided that I wanted to shift all my attention to, to writing and directing film. And, um, you know, it's been film's been an obsession for me since I was a child. It's really been my way of relating to the world um, in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah, it's wonderful to, to, at the age that I am, discover this medium and feel that you finally kind of come home, really. So it's like dreaming awake. Yep. Yeah. yeah. But it's a lot harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's a lot harder. Um, uh, how did it go over in uh, Cannes? Well, look, the, the film was 
so well received. We, we saw a real contrast in some ways with our two openings. Both responses were really emphatic, but as I said, the film opened in, in official selection at Cannes. Um, it was the first Australian film in eight years in that section, and we had a seven-minute standing ovation um, at the end of the film. And it was it was quite um, it was quite discomforting to tell you the truth, because <laughs> as, as a as a director, you're placing all your your energy and attention for three years of your life into this thing. It's not on yourself. You're you're trying as much as possible to get out of the way and tell the story, and specifically with the material that we were dealing with here. That, that sense of moral responsibility, that sense of seriousness, that sense of weight that you are carrying, um, not only for people that have been victims of these sorts of cases and their families, but also for people who work on these sorts of cases. All my attention was on that. And then suddenly to have that turned on yourself was, I mean, I couldn't get far enough away. I, I just wanted to <laughs> leave to tell you the truth. It was very overwhelming. But, but you know, as I said before, you know, when I set out to make this film, I really asked all my collaborators and I'm asking it of the audience to say, what's that thing you care most about in the world and to make that personal investment. And when we had that, um, that opening in Cannes, we actually had 65 people present who worked on this film, who'd flown themselves over to be there, to be a part of that. Um, and, and that felt just so touching you know, um, that people cared that much. People had made that much of an investment in this film. Uh, we had a completely different experience when we opened in Melbourne. We opened at IMAX, actually, oh, as yeah. the first film in competition oh at, at, yeah. at Melbourne Film Festival. And big and screen. At, yeah, it's a huge screen. It's the biggest screen in the Southern Hemisphere. And, you know, the film played beautifully on that screen. And when it finished, the credits began and nobody moved and nobody said anything. And then yeah. the credits finished and the lights came up and nobody moved and nobody said anything. And they didn't do anything for about two minutes. The whole audience, 500, 500 something people just sat there. And um, it was so, um, it, was, it was really a tough. And I think it speaks to the fact that, you know, you mentioned that, that idea of um, breath before, or that kind of Shakespearean quality in the film. And I think what the film does is it, it sort of denies people that breath. It immerses them in this environment. And then right at the end, it allows people to breathe. And I think it has a kind of propulsive finish that has meant that that's, that's, that's happened a lot when we screen the film, that it's met with a kind of silence. And I do think it's a film that you need to walk away and process for a time. But I do hope that it's a healing experience. Oh, yeah. No, it is quite magnificent. And I went to a... Um reviewers screening and the reviewers sat till the end of the credit so there you go that, wow that wow. says something that's, that, that's so that's that's so great to hear mm. thanks for talking to me thank you so much um annie yeah there you go uh thomas wright uh his film the stranger uh it's got its theatrical release today and it, it will appear on Netflix originals October the 19th coming up next is uh published or not and we'll go out with a Wendy Sennington song looking through a window <laughs> Oh, it's fair. 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.